This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. We are in the last part of our current teaching series, and this series is called The Faith of the Ancients. And this series, uh, throughout this series, we've been unpacking and studying Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 sort of points us back through the pages of history. It points us back through our heritage of our faith, through, the, through our lineage, through centuries of our faith, and directs us and signposts us to men and women who lived by faith, who stood in faith, who walked by faith, who persevered in faith. Over the last few weeks, we've learned about Abel, whose faith still speaks, although he's long gone, who lived a life of faith that echoed down the ages. We've learned about Noah, who through his faith and obedience made possible the rescue of his family. We've learned about Enoch, a man who walked faithfully with God for all 600 years of his life. Through the joys and the challenges who by faith walked in close relationship with God. We've learned about Moses who by faith founded his identity in the people and the image of God, not the wealth and power of the empire. And we've learned about the nameless ancients who persevered in faith, who despite their circumstances persevered in faith because they understood that they had already received their very greatest reward, God himself. And this morning, the ancients that we are going to learn from are recorded for us in Hebrews 11, verse 23. And Hebrews 11, verse 23, says, by faith... Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. These are the ancients whose faith we're going to learn from this morning. And their story is a story of fear faith and freedom. Of fear, faith and freedom. And to find their story, Hebrews 11 verse 23 points us back to Exodus chapter 2. And to understand their story, we need to take one more step back to Exodus chapter 1. And in Exodus chapter 1, the first chapter of the second book of the Bible, the people of God are about 70 in number. And they live in Egypt. And although they're just 70 in number, Exodus chapter 1 tells us that they started to multiply quickly. That they started, their number started to increase. That they started to grow. And, and around this time, Exodus 1 tells us that a new king came to power in the land, that a new pharaoh came to power. Now, this pharaoh makes some significant leadership mistakes. What this pharaoh does is he leads out of fear. He leads out of fear. He allows fear to dictate his leadership. And what he does is he enslaves and he oppresses the people of God. And this new king makes some significant leadership mistakes. One of the mistakes he makes is that he doesn't know his history. He doesn't know his history. You see, it says of him, to him, Joseph meant nothing. To this new king, Joseph meant nothing. 
Now, if you know your Bible history or your musicals, you will know that Joseph was one of the people of God who by his faith and his wisdom and his leadership made possible, prepared Egypt to survive seven years of famine. And as a result, became second in command across the whole of Egypt. And yet this new king comes along Joseph's died, Joseph's gone. This new king comes along who doesn't know his history and he disregards the work of Joseph and enslaves his descendants because he doesn't know his history. You see, faith-filled leadership doesn't ignore the past. It doesn't pretend the past didn't happen. It isn't defined and boxed in by the past, but faith-filled leadership uses the past to launch into the future. It uses the past to launch into the future. You see, no moment in time is, is in isolation from the rest of history. When a person speaks or acts, it isn't in, in isolation from all the other experiences they've had up to that point. And faith-filled leadership understands this. It understands this, and it uses the past to launch into the future. The faith-filled picture of the future that God has painted for us. This is a mistake that this new king makes. Another mistake that he makes is that he doesn't understand the purpose of leadership. He doesn't understand the purpose of leadership. You see, in ancient Egypt, the king was considered a god. He was considered to be god, to considered to have absolute authority and ultimate power. And the problem with this kind of approach is that it views the purpose of leadership as fulfilling my desires, doing what I want, for achieving my agenda, building my kingdom. And because there is no accountability of the authority or the power, it leads to oppression and injustice. But faith-filled leadership understands and recognizes that its purpose is to serve and represent God. That the purpose of leadership, no matter what arena of life it is, is to serve and represent God. So Hebrews 11 verse 6 says it's by faith we know that God exists. We know that he's the first and the last over all creation. That he is the author of leadership. That he is the origin of leadership. And so the purpose of leadership here on earth is to serve the author of leadership. The one from whom all authority and power comes. To serve the origin of leadership. To fulfill his purposes and to represent him with the authority that he has delegated to us. See, faith-filled leadership recognizes that its purpose is to serve and to represent God. Whether you're a parent or a teacher, whether you're a manager at work or whether you're a governor or whether you hold a position in the community, whether you lead a department within church, the purpose of your leadership is to make happen the dream of God in your context. 
in your area, to make happen not simply what you think might be a good idea, although sometimes those, those two things are the same thing, but to make happen the dream of God in your home and in your community and in this church and in your workplace and to represent God, to represent the Father, his nature and his character to your children and to your colleagues and to your friends and to the people in the supermarket queue next to you because faith-filled leadership understands that its purpose is to serve and to represent God. And when you have that at the forefront of your mind, it alters the way that you lead. It alters the way that you parent, the way that you manage, the way that you govern. This is what faith-filled leadership recognizes. But these are just a few of the mistakes that this new king makes. This new king who is led by fear who is led, his leadership is dictated by his insecurity. And it says in Exodus 1 that he was fearful that the, the people of God were increasing in number. It says that he was fearful that if some of the enemies of Egypt came against them, that the people of God in great number would rise up against them too. And so he oppresses and he enslaves them, but what that does is causes them to multiply even more. And so, so what he does is he calls to him two Hebrew midwives, And he instructs them that when you go to the Hebrew women and you help them to deliver a baby, if it's a girl, business is normal. Do whatever you do. But if it is a boy, the boy is not to be allowed to live. If it is a baby boy, it is not to be allowed to live. And so what we read in Exodus 1 is that these Hebrew women, that these bold women don't obey his command because it says they feared God. Despite the fear that was in the land because of this insecure king who is being dicta- whose leadership is being dictated by his fear, despite that spreading, they, it says they didn't obey his command, his instructions, because they feared God. Now this word fear, this Hebrew verb, is pronounced yore. And it's not the kind of fear that we're talking about when we talk about this insecure king. This word means to fear, to respect, and to reverence. It's not the same, it's not a fear that freezes you. It's not being afraid or scared of, but it's an understanding of God's awe and his majesty. And, And in this case, it causes them to act courageously. It causes them to act with boldness and courage. And then the king calls them to him and says, what's going on? And um, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in this conversation. Because they say, well, well, the Hebrew women, they just give birth too vigorously. They are just popping them out. And we can't get there. We cannot get there in time. By the time we get there, they've already had the baby. We can't do what you've asked us to do. And he seems to accept the answer. Now, for all his faults... Here he displays some wisdom, because there are some things you do not argue with a woman about, and childbirth is one of them. So he seems to accept their answer, and we see in Exodus 1 that that God blesses these Hebrew women, that these Hebrew midwives, and they're blessed with their own families. But what happens next is that the king issues an edict. The king issues an edict which goes out to all the people, to all the people in the land. And the edict is this, that if a Hebrew baby girl is born, fine. But if a Hebrew baby boy is born, then the commission to all the people is that the baby is to be thrown into the River Nile, that baby boys were not permitted to live. 
For the people of God, things have gone from bad to worse. They've been, they've been enslaved and oppressed. They've been, the, Hebrew women, the Hebrew midwives have been issued with this command, this genocide of Hebrew baby boys. That doesn't work, and things go from bad to worse. And now the commission is to all the people in the land. Can you imagine a baby is born in your home and the great joy that comes with that? And then there's a knock on the door. And you see that it's your neighbours, but you kind of you haven't always got on with them because, you know, the, the, the fence between the two and those kind of things that come up. And, um, and, and you look and you wonder, are they coming to share my joy? Or are they coming to carry out the edict that the king has commissioned to all? Can you imagine the fear that would, would have pervaded the land? Things have gone from bad to worse. You see, the nature of evil and injustice is that unless it is challenged, it continues to spread. The nature of evil and injustice is that unless it is challenged, it continues to spread. When we look around our world today, there are injustices that need to be challenged. You know, the United Nations estimate that between 27 and 30 million people are held in what is called modern slavery. That between 27 and 30 million individual human beings are currently being trafficked, treated as a possession for, for financial gain. There are injustices that need to be challenged in our world today. And not all of that is far from home, because the Home Office estimate that between 10 and 13,000 of them are here in the UK. It's not all stuff that happens abroad, it happens far from home. Uh, current statistics say that approximately 750 million people do not have access to adequate drinking water. Seven. 150 million. The kind of thing that we take for granted that, to be honest, my children turn their nose up because they want juice or they want water. That 750 people don't have adequate access to drinking water. And here in the UK, 28% of children are living in poverty. You see, there are injustices that need to be challenged. And I don't know about you, but for me, those statistics are overwhelming. And the tendency sometimes, because I can't do everything, I cannot solve all of those problems. The temptation, the tendency sometimes can be to turn away and to kind of turn a blind eye, because what can I do about all of that? Well, I can't do everything. No one of us can do everything, but that doesn't mean we should do nothing, because each one of us can do something. And when each one of us does something, everything starts to change. You see, you can teach your children about the value of human life, regardless of color or ethnicity or religion or where they were born. You can teach your children through organizations like Compassion. You can lift one child and one family out of extreme poverty. Imagine if every one of us in the UK did that. The picture would be a different picture. Through partnering with the local food bank, you can feed a hungry family here in Burnley on your doorstep. See, there are things that each one of us can do. And as the church, as the kingdom 
of God, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, where evil and injustice has no place. Each of us has a responsibility to make a stand. Not to do everything, because no one of us can do everything, but to do something. Because when each one of us does something, everything begins to change. And that is what we see in the lives of Amram and Jochebed, this couple that we meet in Exodus chapter 2. This couple that we meet in this situation, they're living in Egypt. They are the people of God, and they're living under the edict that if a baby girl is born, fine. But if a baby boy is born, he's to be thrown into the River Nile. And Amram and Jochebed, when we meet them, they have a daughter called Miriam and a son called Aaron. And under the king's edict, they fall pregnant again. And like millions of other women in history, Jochebed carries this unseen person for nine months. And the likelihood is she probably would have hid her pregnancy because of the edict that, have gone, that had gone out. I can't imagine what that would have been like. I can't imagine the fear and the anxiety that must have gripped her at times. What she must have felt like, what she must have gone through. Knowing that if, if it was another girl, if it was another little sister for Miriam, then that would be great joy. But knowing that if it was a boy, then simply based on his gender, the sentence for this new life would have been death. I cannot imagine what that would have been like. There must have been times when fear and anxiety overwhelmed her. And yet what she does is she displays what Hebrews 11 verse 1 defines for us as faith. And we know, don't we, from the last few months that Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You know, what an amazing example, the carrying of an unborn child. What an amazing example of things hoped for, of things not yet seen. For nine months, she doesn't physically see whether this is another daughter or another son. And yet, despite the fear that began with the king's insecurity, despite the fear that was now pervading Egypt, when the baby is born, Amram and Jochebed respond with the eyes of faith. They respond with the eyes of faith. And Hebrews 11 verse 23 tells us this because she delivers a baby boy. She delivers a baby boy and instead of seeing no future, instead of seeing infant mortality, instead of seeing another little body in the river Nile, she sees, Hebrews 11 verse 23 says that this was no ordinary child. You know, I, I imagine most parents think that. I know I did. I know I still do. But it, it says they, they, they saw that he was no ordinary child. You know, they sensed something of the plan that God had for his life, and faith began to rise. They see this tiny boy who, who in that environment, it wasn't permitted to live, but what they see with the eyes of faith, the thing hoped for, not yet seen, is a future, and the plan that God has for him, the plan that God has for him to play, the part in the story that they, he has for them. You see, whenever you face fear, it is an opportunity for you to respond in faith. Whenever you face fear, it is an opportunity for you to respond in faith. And whenever you take a step of faith, fear isn't far away. 
Whenever you take a step of faith, fear isn't far away. I remember talking to my friend Mark, who Mark and Judith have taken a massive step of faith over the last few months. A massive step of faith in order to ensure that we can provide a food bank service here in Burnley that serves East Lancashire. And I remember talking to Mark, and I remember Mark saying the sort of the thousands of pounds they were believing for, for salaries to come in in a matter of weeks in order to continue providing that service. And I remember Mark saying, I've never needed so much faith and yet I've never had so much faith I've never needed so much faith and yet I've never had so much faith because whenever you face fear it's an opportunity to respond in faith and so what Jochebed does is by faith she hides Moses she hides the baby she hides this baby for three months until it says she no longer could Now, it's not clear why she no longer could. I don't know if he was getting too noisy. I don't know if word was starting to spread. I don't know if danger was imminent. But until she no longer could, she hid the baby. And then what she does is she makes a basket and she coats it in order to waterproof it. And she places it in the Nile, in the the reeds along the bank, so it can't go very far. And so she places him here. And she lets go of the baby that God has entrusted to her. She lets go of the baby that God has entrusted to her in order to ensure his safety. She has to let him go. You see, faith releases control. Faith releases control to the God who is infinitely more able to look after those dearest to us than we are. And there's, there's, there's a beautiful irony in this because the baby is safe in the place that was intended for his destruction. The baby is safe in this place that was intended for his destruction. And for Jochebed, she makes a stand against injustice. She makes a stand against the evil and the injustice. She doesn't do everything. There's no indication that she saves any other baby boy. But she does what she can. And because she does something, everything begins to change for the people of God. And so she does, in fact, put him in the river, which was the edict of the king. But he is safe in the place that was meant for his destruction. And in Exodus 2, we learn that he's found by the daughter of the Pharaoh, who raises him as her son and gives him the name Moses. And just in this situation, there is an echo of the words of Joseph a few chapters earlier. See, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says this to his brothers. It's towards the end of their life, and they're reunited and Um, they've been reconciled in Egypt. If you know the story, the reason he comes to Egypt and then is uh, promoted to power in Egypt is because his brothers sold him into slavery. And, And he says to them later in life, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And it's beautiful that this baby is safe in the place that was meant for his destruction. That 
that God used this situation for the good, for the saving of many lives. Because like Joseph before him, God's plan for Moses is that he would save many lives, that he would be the liberator for God's people. And it's as Jochebed, by faith, releases control, it makes way for freedom. It makes way for freedom. This story is a story of fear, faith, and freedom. And the Hebrew word for the basket that Moses' mother made is possibly pronounced tabar, if you're reading it in English phonetically. But it's difficult to translate into English. It's a difficult word for us in our language, but it can be linked to the idea of a lifeboat or a life raft. And it's the same Hebrew word that is used for the ark that Noah built to save his family. See, in these, in, even in the early accounts of Moses' life, there's this image of salvation there's this image of salvation. And even in the early, we see this even in the early records of his life. Because Moses, when he grows up, he goes on to lead the people of God, who they estimate may have been around 2 million people, out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom. And it says, Jochebed, by faith, releases control, that it makes way for freedom. I wonder if the band could come and join us and help us. See, Moses, his name was given to him by the Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know if Jochebed named him. I don't know if she dared name him. Does he have a, does he have a future? What's going to happen here? But we know that the daughter of Pharaoh names Moses. And his name means drawn from the water. And so his name is an Egyptian name. So the liberator of God's people, the leader of God's people, has an Egyptian name. Even early on, we have this indication, we have this signpost, that liberation is not just for the Hebrews, that liberation is not just for the Jewish people, but that there is a liberator who came, and he came for all. And it's that liberator that Hebrews 11, that the faith of the ancients points us towards. You see, after this list of men and women who lived by faith, after this list, the author writes Hebrews 12. After these lists of men and women who lived by faith, who stood in faith, who persevered by faith, who walked by faith, the author writes Hebrews 12. And he says, therefore... Therefore, because of what we've just read, because of what we've just studied over the last few months, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by Noah and Moses, by Amram and Jochebed, by Enoch, by Abel, by all the others named and unnamed, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run. Let us run with perseverance the, marked, the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the liberator who came for all. Hebrews 12 describes him as the pioneer and the finisher of faith. As the author and perfecter of faith. The liberator who makes freedom possible for all. You see, one of the reasons that the author of Hebrews wrote what he did was because Hebrews responds to a temptation in the early converts to Christianity who, having suffered persecution, the temptation they were having to look back and to revert back to the law of Moses, this temptation they were experiencing. And so the author responds with this long list of men and women, Moses included, this long list of men and women who've gone before and who've lived by faith. And the purpose of their lives and the purpose of their memory is not simply for us to look back to the good old days. It is for us to look ahead to the future of faith that God has marked out for us to run in. And to do that by fixing our eyes, by embracing the liberator who comes for all, Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and the finisher of faith. To in the face of fear, choose faith and make way for freedom. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.